Hello and welcome to the Top Order Podcast, day 30 of the 2023 Cricket World Cup and it really does feel like the business end now. Every game we're talking about must wins and keeping semi-final dreams alive. Last night was no different. Afghanistan, Netherlands, two sides that have given us plenty of joy throughout this tournament but I think only one set of fans will be smiling this morning. We'll have all of that and more coming up right after this. So, Baldy, another game, another comfortable win, this time for Afghanistan, which which moves them to fifth on the table, equal points with New Zealand, with Australia, and now with a real shot of making the semifinals. We'll, I think we'll get to the actual game in a minute, but I wanted to sort of open the show with a question for you that I think possibly is probably better suited. I keep asking you all these questions that were probably better suited for us to chat about at length on a, you know, a This weekend Cricket. I think we, there was a bit of chat on our socials yesterday about, uh, after the India-Sri Lanka game, about, I guess, the, the one-sided nature of so many of these games. And I, I sort of wanted to see if you had any thoughts about why that's happening. Because, you know, I, I just think in a tournament where generally we feel like any side could beat any side, we're having so few close games. And, and it just seems a bit weird to me. Morning to you, Stu, and morning listeners and viewers of the Top Order podcast. Thank you for your contribution uh, to everyone who's written in, uh, texted in, added comments to the social channels. We love them, keep them going. Uh, They've been fantastic and largely positive, I must say. Um, Our humble little podcast has received some very wonderful comments from uh, listeners and and viewers of the pod. So we we thank you for those because that really lifts the spirits in and era in a world where it's so easy to be unkind, uh, kinder shines out like a ray of sunshine. So uh, without being facetious, thank you uh, to those people who have, have provided a little bit of kindness to our to our humble uh, media offerings. In terms of your questions, Stu, uh, great to hear uh, from the listeners, and I would expect them to continue to provide their views on, on this as well. My point of view is that in the last 15 years of white ball cricket, we've seen a revolution in skill. We've seen a real change in uh, the areas of the ground that batters can access with power. Some of that is to do with the size of the ground. Some of that is to do with the hardness of the ball. Some of that is to do with the construction of the bats. But a lot of it is to do with the the athleticism, the skill, and the strength of, of the batter. And in being able to access both more parts of the ground and also being able to get the ball over the boundary with more regularity... If you think about this game, actually, let's look at this game as a, a counterpoint. No sixes last night in Afghanistan versus the Netherlands. And that stands out like a, a very unusual statistic in a tournament where South Africa have already broken the record for the most sixes in an, in a, an ODI World Cup. Um, which speaks to me as teams are willing to try more things, do different things, take more risks. If you think about uh, the great finishing batters of the 90s and the 2000s. Michael Bevan comes to mind immediately. His great skill set was hitting the ball into the gaps and running hard and getting twos. Whereas now, great finishers are able to clear the boundary with regularity and score 40 or 15 balls. All that is to say that cricketers nowadays are prepared to take more risk. And of course, risk comes with it reward and it also comes with it uh, failure on certain occasions. And I think teams are much more willing now, whether it's through their increased skill set or they're looking at analytics more and, it, and the analytics are saying, well, 60% of the time, if we do X, then the result will be Y, that they're prepared to take those chances. 
and that means that there are more high-scoring matches. I can't remember who it was in the Crick Info Press uh, wrote a great article about the closeness of ODIs uh, when the ODI score is between 250 and 275. That scoreline produces by far the close the, the closest ODIs and also uh, the balance of teams batting first and batting second in terms of winning the match. So when teams are prepared to go for it to get 350, the corollary is that if they take all those risks and they don't come off, there's not a lot of backup and they end up all out 180, 185 or you know 220, whatever it happens to be. So I think the, pre- the preparation or the preparedness to take risk results in there being a gulf between uh, between sides that you know can chase 350 or can get 350 and then bowl, bowl sides out for a, a middling score. Uh, that's my view, but I think it's worth uh, unpacking definitely in, in more detail in uh, this week in cricket and you know with feedback from our listeners and viewers as well yeah it's a, it's a fascinating topic I, I think and um you know even just me i've been talking about watching this uh, this cricket gold channel that uh, on samsung tv plus and and um you know the thing that struck out to me you mentioned it before the boundary size i you know watching those old games in australia the boundaries I don't know if it's if it is just the bats or something, but the boundaries just seemed enormous in some of those Australian grounds, and it meant that yes, the skill, the the things that you were trying to do as a batter were very different. You were trying to hit it in gaps and get twos and threes, and you know it, it just must be so appealing now for batters to be out in the middle on flat wickets with those awesome bats and the skills that they possess to just think I can hit this ball for six, you know. So that's just not something that's that was an option necessarily for, for all batters and for, for all players previously. So, yeah, fascinating one to think about. 100%. And I, I agree with you. I sat down with my son last night and my daughter over dinner and we watched five or ten minutes of Cricket Gold before the, before the ODI World Cup cricket came on at about nine. And we were watching India uh, versus Australia, 85-86 at the Adelaide Oval. And there was a boundary struck uh, down the ground that went 110 metres to the boundary. Now, that's further than any six has been hit in the World Cup uh, so far. I think the furthest, furthest, furthest six, I should say, has been 106 metres. So when you think about those dimensions, and that six went two tiers back into the stadium, grounds these days are much smaller in that the boundaries of, of natural boundaries are brought in for safety reasons. We have the, the rope marker. You used to be able to stand on the fence to catch the ball. Um, so the, the required distance to hit a six in those days is much, much further. And, you know, that, that makes a big difference in terms of, you know, being able to take risks, knowing that if you get it slightly wrong, you can still clear the boundary in the most instances. Let's talk about Afghanistan versus the Netherlands, Stu. Let's get to the main uh, fixture of this missive between us this morning. I looked at the scorecard. I was quite incredulous at the number of uh, unforced errors from from the Netherlands last night. They really did not shoot themselves in the foot, but they they didn't give themselves the best chance of posting a competitive score, did they? I think I think they did shoot themselves in the foot. I think that's a that's a fair way to describe it. I mean, you you know, we're talking about this game didn't end up being a close one, but actually it it was shaping up that way in the first 10 overs. You know, the Netherlands, well, I would say actually, I think Afghanistan bowled very poorly in that first, you know, that first part of the, the match. The first 10 overs, they only bowled Mahi, uh, Majib and, and Faruqi, which I thought was curious as well, because neither of them were kind of uh, getting it right, I don't think. I mean, Majib, I, I love watching him as a bowler. Every time I see him, actually, I kind of marvel at the fact that 
the skill that, you know, you just talked about the skill that the batters have, the skill that Majib has to be able to bowl the ball out the front of his hand, the side of his hand, the back of his hand, and, and all the different variations is, is, you know, for me as a spinner, just a joy to watch really. But, you know, then he just wasn't really getting it right. He was he was bowling all of those different options. Sometimes I think he might be better served to kind of pick an option and, and what's best suited for the conditions and bowl them over and over again. And yeah, you know, they, there was a lot of league side deliveries and, and Max O'Dowd in particular was, was you know, taking full toll of it. And the Netherlands were 60-odd off after their first 10 for, for the loss of only one wicket. They were shaping up for a big score, putting themselves in a big great position. And then all the runouts just started happening and happening. And it was it was just calamitous, really. Like, you know, you talk about risks and they were just risks that, that didn't need to be taken because they were in such a good position. You know, to be fair, Omazai, you know, great run out to get Max O'Dowd, hits the stumps from, you know, 50, 60 metres out, hits them direct and, you know, anything but a direct hit in Max O'Dowd would have been safe. But from there, it just, you know, it just got worse and worse. Engelbrecht ran out. Colin or Colin Ackerman, I think, you know, largely probably I would say his fault. Scott Edwards comes down the wicket, you know, trying to be positive, just gets in a big tangle and is, I think they called it run out, but essentially it was stumped, you know, it sort of comes off his body, keeper grabs it and he's out and yeah, it's sort of, uh, I think 70 odd for one turns into to 97 for five and, and the game is pretty much done and dusted from that point on. Absolutely. It was an unfortunate combination of recklessness and confusion that led into four calamitous runouts for the Netherlands and they were never at the races against an Afghanistan side that again very disciplined even though the Netherlands raced to 70 for one they didn't kind of drop their bundle they had they picked four spinners for this game the four spinners bowled really well uh, the keeping was excellent to the spinners I thought the catching was was fantastic uh, as you said, at least one, if not two, stumping should should have been credited to Alakil uh, in that particular inning. So a really, again, very disciplined before performance with the ball from Afghanistan. I think, you know, y- you can point to little individual maybe blips along the way, but generally speaking, to keep the Netherlands to 179 with four spinners, really, really well done by them. And then, you know, same story on the other side of the coin. Afghanistan's middle order has provided some really, really professional, um, measured, very disciplined, workmanlike chases that have made this look like a very, very easy canter to victory. 180 is not an easy score to chase three down. No, no. I mean, you know, I think any side restricting the others to, to 180 was is going to feel like they should they should do it very easily. But, you know, they did lose a couple of wickets early on. They, uh, you know, uh, Gerbarts gets out early, caught down the league side. And then uh, Roller van der Merwe, I'm, I swear he gets a wicket first ball, or at least in his first over, almost every time he comes on to bowl in this World Cup. But, you know, maybe maybe it's only happened twice or something, and, it, and it's uh, skewing my, my memory. But, yeah, picks up picks up Ibrahim first ball and, and suddenly, you know, 55 for two after 10 overs and, and it, that, you know, they're behind where the, where the Netherlands were. But the, I think the, not remarkable because that probably undersells Afghanistan, but the thing that's sort of stood out to me about this Afghanistan performance during this World Cup is that it's often been different players standing up and, you know, Afghanistan, we, we are always, you know, 
inevitably you talk about Rashid Khan and and I think during that 10 over period when the Netherlands were going well Rashid Khan went off the field and suddenly all those alarm bells were were coming and actually striking you know going back to the fielding striking when he turned back came back onto the field after 10 overs he got all the Afghanistan players in a huddle and it you know sort of a remarkable kind of thing you, you don't see that and you I don't know if you should kind of see it during it during a game because uh, the umpires started to get a bit annoyed about you know the time that it was taking, but got all of them into a huddle and whatever he said obviously seemed to work with the way that that panned out. But you know it's it's often been some of the players that you know maybe the 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 worldwide media don't really cover that often that have been so significant for Afghanistan and the two batters that that did it today are, are two great examples you know Ramat Shah and Hashmatullah Shahidi both of them now near enough have got 350s on the bounce you know Ramat Shah has and Shahidi I think uh, for him he he hasn't been dismissed for the last three games and on the bounce he's gone 56 today not out 55 against Sri Lanka, not out, and 48 against Pakistan, not out. So, you know, these guys, are. we, we talk about Gerbats and the excitement that is up the top of that Afghanistan order, but they've just been held together by these two players, and Omatsai has contributed as well. So, yeah, they've just had contributions all out, and now they put themselves in a position where absolutely they could win one or two of these next two games and, and be right, you know, be in the semifinals, which would, would be a huge effort. I, I know people keep saying you've, you're sort of underselling Afghanistan, you you know, you're by by saying that they shouldn't be in the mix for the semifinals, but it would be quite a remarkable effort if they can beat Australia or South Africa or both of them mm. and get themselves in these in these semifinals. It's been a remarkable team performance from Afghanistan, hasn't it? You only have to go and look at the most runs, most wicket charts for this World Cup. And, you know, the highest run scorer is Shahidi at 14th and then Ramit Shah is 18th. And then you've got sort of three guys just outside the top 20. None of the Afghanistan bowlers are inside the top 20 as far as I can see in terms of the most wickets chart. So it has been a real all-round effort from Afghanistan to this point. And they've just had such wonderful contributions, as you say, throughout their throughout their top five, top six in a World Cup where opening batters have really dominated de Kock, de, you know Coley Ravindra Warner Sharma are all at the top of the top of the run scoring charts all batting inside that kind of top you know top two top three Afghanistan have had some fantastic contributions from their three four five in this World Cup and they sit now with two games to go on eight points same as Australia same as Pakistan uh, so same as Australia same as New Zealand ahead of Pakistan. Uh, who have two games uh, to go against New Zealand and England. And now they're putting tremendous pressure on Pakistan in particular, but also Australia and New Zealand, who have games coming up tonight. They have been just incredible in this tournament. They they have. And, and you know, again, I, I think, you know, Rashid Khan is someone we, we talk a lot about for Afghanistan. And, and I don't, I mean, he's played okay. But he hasn't been the standout for them. You you nailed you nailed it. It's been an absolute all round team performance from them, and and that's got them to this point. And yeah, it you know you say putting putting pressure on these other sides. It's that's probably a, a good segue into to what happens tonight because I'm certainly feeling the pressure as a as a New Zealand fan. Well, you think you're feeling the pressure? We've got an England side now that has nothing to lose. We've got teammates who are retiring that always brings a bit of an emotional lift we've just received word that uh, Ben Stokes is going to have knee surgery so this is his last mm. couple of games of cricket for a while 
We've got Australian players falling off of golf carts, going home uh, for family issues. Uh, and we do wish the Marsh family all the best in dealing with, yeah. with that personal uh, issue that Mitchell's dealing with. Um, but there are two really big games of cricket tonight. Uh, New Zealand against Pakistan for what looks to be, to me, a must-win game, Stuart. Is that how you're seeing it? Talk me through it. I, I think so. I, I, you know, I think maybe a couple of days ago before that South Africa game, I, you know, obviously I wanted to win and wanted to secure that those spots, but I think that there was realistic expectation that New Zealand could lose to South Africa, lose to Pakistan, beat Sri Lanka and still make the quarterfinals. That That is obviously still a path that could happen. But I think with the the way that they lost to South Africa, the heavy defeat, the hit that they took to their net run rate, and Pakistan kind of getting their net run rate back up a little bit, they're now within striking distance. And, and those run rates certainly, yeah, I, I don't think you want to be mucking around with those anymore because Afghanistan is close, Pakistan is close enough. So, yeah, I, I think that if New Zealand want to win, you know, want to be in these semifinals, this essentially feels like a quarterfinal. It, you know, it has that feeling about it to me. And New Zealand, you know, we're we're in a bit of disarray, to be fair. It felt like we were playing really good cricket, even in the losses to India and Australia. They weren't, you know, there were missed opportunities, but they, they were competing very, very well against two good sides who we respect a lot. But, you know, now with all these injuries, Matt Henry has been ruled out officially now from of the tournament. You know, a grade two hamstring tear. Kyle Jamieson remarkably jumped on a plane almost immediately after playing in the, the Plunkett Shield and, and is now slated to be available for this game tonight against Pakistan. We've, you know, I guess some positive news is that uh, all the other injured players appear to have trained yesterday. Kane Williamson, uh, Jimmy Neesham, Mark Chapman, Lockie Ferguson. But I just have no idea what the makeup of the side is going to be. You know, I find it curious. I had a bit of a chat with with one of our listeners the other day on, on socials about how Ish Sodi is, is sort of just hasn't featured in this tournament. And he's someone that I kind of thought uh, before the tournament might be in the lineup every single game with the fact that we're in India and, and spin is a, a key factor. And um, it just hasn't, I think with the balance of the, I think really the balance of the side is the reason why he hasn't, you know, they're wanting to play the extra all-rounder, and it just hasn't left space for, for Ish because of the way that New Zealand wants to make sure they have enough seamers, I think, to bowl at the death and probably don't want a Santner or a Sodi or anyone like that bowling at the death because we've seen what has happened to Nisham and you know Phillips and things when they've had to bowl in those final overs. So, yeah, look, just so many, so many questions, I guess, that I have around the New Zealand side and you know, we're going to find out today whether whether this is whether that last game was a blip, or whether you know this is actually a slide and New Zealand is falling their way out of the tournament, which which I hope is not the case because they played some excellent cricket early on. It's going to be really interesting to see which team picks up from their recent form. You did mention in uh, New Zealand having had three losses on the bounce. Now they they've lost to India, Australia, and South Africa. India and South Africa, mm. quite clearly, the two most informed, most destructive sides in this tournament. So they are coming off the back of three losses, but they are looking at an Afghanistan side who has only won one out of their last five games. Af- uh, Pakistan, Pakistan yeah. sorry, Pakistan, yeah. They've lost to India, Australia, Afghanistan, and South Africa. So three of the four same teams that 
New Zealand have lost to in their most recent five Slater matches. The only win they've had in that in that Slater five is against Bangladesh, who New Zealand took care of earlier in the tournament. So I think both of those sides are reeling from the fact that their top four rivals have all sort of given them not a toweling up, but they've they've lost all three games. So this is super important for New Zealand and for Pakistan. If Pakistan are any chance of qualifying, I think they really have to win tonight. Uh, New Zealand can can put one foot in the door by beating Pakistan. And it's the same case for Australia. If Australia can beat England tonight, they then have two games in hand against, Af- against Afghanistan and Bangladesh to, sol- to cement their semi-final spot, if you like. Um, but they're playing against a wounded England side that really has nothing to lose at this point. And England always get up for games against Australia. And I think that is a real concern for us, given that we're going into the game without two of our first choice 11 uh, that we would have been wanting to play in this game. Yeah, look, I you know I can't say uh, any any different than that, really. I mean, you know, as as Ben Stokes has said, England's been been crap so far in this tournament. But uh, you know, his words, not yours, too. Exactly, his his words, absolutely. And um, but you know, I, I think that they will be absolutely up for this game. They, you know, <laughs> even like even throughout this World Cup, there's been all the banter about the the Ashes and. All of the stuff, you know, the the hilarious clip of Manus Labuschagne being told that baseball is in the in the dictionary now, and yeah, just it seems like the these two sides just sort of can't let things slide. They both, you know, so that that Ashes series has certainly had an impact on both of them. And yeah, look, I, I think this is, I I hope these are, are two cracking games. Uh, you know, I mean, they really do have the potential to be. With especially, you know, even the whole weekend with India and, and South Africa to follow. So, yeah, look, I hope we get them. I, you know, I guess probably from a New Zealand point of view, I hope we kind of get a nice, comfortable win for, for Pakistan uh, against Pakistan. My son's son saying hello to me through through the door. Don't know if listeners listeners heard that, uh, which means it's probably is time to, to wrap things up. Any final comments before we say goodbye for today, Baldy? No, it's a fantastic Slater lineup uh, matchups, I should say, coming up for the next 48 hours. As you say, we're treated to India, South Africa on uh, Sunday night here in New Zealand as well. So, look, it's going to be a cracking weekend. Let's hope that, as you say, for the casual fan or for the independent viewer, they're all close games. I, too, hope for a comfortable win over England, uh, as I always do. Uh, but it's going to be an exciting 48 hours of cricket here at the World Cup. And... For all of the listeners and viewers, thank you again for tuning in to the Top Order podcast. It's been a great morning here in Auckland talking through the Afghanistan's what third victory on the trot in this World Cup over the Netherlands and previewing very briefly Australia and England tonight as well as New Zealand and Pakistan as well. Take care of yourselves and each other out there and we'll see you again tomorrow morning on the Top Order podcast. Talk to you then. 